Morning, everybody. There we are. Okay, how we doing? Enjoying our beautiful Canadian winter? And everybody said we're thankful we're not in St. John's, Newfoundland. My sister lives there, and I, I said to them yesterday, you know, God is punishing for you for something, but I don't know what it is, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Hey, it's uh, Name Badge Sunday today. And uh, this is uh, one of the best Sundays of the year. Uh, actually, we do it quite often, uh, thankfully, uh, because uh, some of us are getting older and starting to lose our minds, I mean our memories. Um, and uh, so we kind of get everybody to wear a name badge. And uh, so this is a great morning. Uh, you know that person that you've been meeting for the last three weeks? And you say to your spouse when you get home, you know, I, I cannot remember their name. This is a great time to go up and talk to them. So, why don't you stand with me? And why don't you uh, take a minute, uh, two minutes, we'll take two minutes. It's 10.32, we'll take two minutes. And uh, go around and meet some people you don't know, and some people you do know, but you don't know their name. And uh, this is, uh, so just go ahead and uh, have fun. Okay, it's 1034. It's time's up. Well, you get you get you guys wound up and I can't get you unwound well while we're getting our seats and uh, we want to welcome everybody that's visiting visiting with us today and uh, if you are visiting with us today we are in a, a series 31 week series called the story and uh, we are looking at the Bible the one story of the Bible which I'll explain a little bit uh, from Genesis to Revelation, and today we're on chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 to, uh, uh, actually, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, 
And we're going to read in just a moment all the way to chapter 18, verse 39. But we're not going to read all that. Um, but let's stand together. And um, I'm going to read um, whatever color comes up here. Yellow. Uh, wait now, let me fix this. Okay, we're going to have to live with this for a minute. So I'm reading yellow, you're reading white. This is what it said. Now Elisha the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, that's the king, as the Lord lives, the God of Israel, sorry, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith Ravine or Cherith Ravine, whichever one you want to pronounce it, east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. I hope somebody has the interpretation. <laughs> I have, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's families have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed after the Baals or the Baals, whichever way you pronounce it. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Father, thank you for this day and for your word. Thank you for your love that you have demonstrated so extravagantly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes everything that you've done in through him and makes it possible, available, and applicable in each of our lives. And Father, we ask now that you would just give us a ears to hear, a mouth to speak, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, but particularly that that same Holy Spirit, as we leave this place, this building, this facility, and go out into our lives, our marriages, our families, our homes, our neighborhoods, where we go to school, where we work, where we get our recreation, and where we get our services, to live out what it means to be Christ followers, disciples, Christians. And we do this and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son. Amen. Why don't you be seated? <clears throat> now, we all have cell phones. Now, I'm sure that, well, most of us have cell phones. And I don't know, but maybe you have discovered, like I have, that cell phones can be problematic. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you forgot to turn the ringer off, silence your phone? 
and it rang in the middle of a meeting or a service or something like that. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. Okay, now the, you put your hands down, and those of you that won't fess up, you raise your hands. There you go, that's much better. Now, we know that that can be very, very embarrassing to be in a group of people and all of a sudden your phone starts to ring. It's also very annoying to other people, but the good news is the other people have all done the same thing and had the same experience, so we're in good company. But you know, when even with the embarrassment of the phone ringing, and someone just texted me, by the way. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Steve Goodry just texted me. Um, but anyway, that's another story. But even if it rings and we're embarrassed, we look at who's calling. And if it's somebody important like our kids or our spouses, we actually take the call. And we say, hello, is everything okay? And the, the, the answer on the other end is yes. And then we say something like this, honey, this is really not a good time. Right? That's how we do it. Well, in many ways, I think that this is the point in the context of what we just read. God is trying to get a hold of Israel, the 10 tribes of northern Israel. He's trying to get their attention. And the question is, will they see his call just as a, an intrusion or an interruption in their lives? Or will they take his call? Will they answer? And if they do answer, how will they respond? Now, last Sunday morning... We talked about the beginning of the 530 years that of the division of the northern tribes and the southern tribes of Israel and how that happened and the rationale whereby God caused this division in the family Jacob or Israel's family nation. And we're told, of course, in 1 Kings, it was because of Solomon's disobedience. Because he worshipped the gods of the Asher, he worshipped the Asheroth and Chemos and Moloch, and have not walked in the ways of the Lord as his father David did. And what we see here is that we find in our text this situation now has become full blown. And we see it as the continuation and the fallout of Solomon's sin and the continuation through to Jeroboam, which we talked about last week, and down to Ahab, king of Israel. Now Ahab is probably one of the most corrupt kings that Israel has ever had. Matter of fact, he may be, in fact, the Bible tells us that he may be the absolute most corrupt king that Israel has ever had. Now, Ahab's partner in crime is the notorious Queen Jezebel. Now, together, Queen Jezebel and King Ahab are probably one of the most infamous couples in history and in the Bible. To put it mildly, Queen Jezebel is the, the Cruella de Vil of the Bible. And 
anybody not know who Cruella DeVille is? She's the bad woman on 101 Dalmatians. And she is considered one of, if not the most evil woman in the Bible. Matter of fact, so much so that she actually is mentioned in the book of Revelation. Her reputation proceeds and follows her. And she is one of those people in the Bible that we love to hate. Now, King Ahab, of course, is directly responsible for the nation of Israel going after other gods and worshiping the gods of their worshiping Baal. But Queen Jezebel is indirectly responsible for this as well. And that brings us then to God's messengers, the prophets. Now, there are a number of prophets that God used to call to himself the Israel's family nation. To the ten northern tribes, he used people like Amos and Micah and Isaiah and Hosea and a host of others. But let me give you a little sample of how these prophets spoke to the nation of Israel, the ten tribes. Hosea, it says in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery, and they break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And then he says a little bit further in Hosea chapter 14, he says, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Now, another one of these prophets that God has used to call the nation of Israel back to himself is none other than the star of our show today, and that is the prophet Elijah. Now, the prophet Elijah is considered to be the prophet who represents the word of God. His name actually means my God is Jehovah or Yahweh is God. But there's also this. We have been talking about the story and how that the Bible is not just hundreds of stories that are unrelated, but rather it is one continuous story that begins in Genesis and works its way all the way to Revelation. And here, with Elijah, we have an opportunity to see the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. A window, so to speak, that helps us to see how the two fit together. Now, we see that in the prophet Elijah. Elijah the prophet is the forerunner to the prophet Elisha. Now, just as indeed John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus Christ, in other words, he came before him and announced his way, Elijah is the forerunner to Elisha. Matter of fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, verses 9 to 13, actually said this. And John the Baptist actually said of Jesus that he must become greater and that I must decrease. Well, the same is true of Elijah and Elisha. 
While Elijah is considered to be the prophet of the word of God, Elisha is considered to be the prophet of resurrection. Twice as much space in the Bible is given to the prophet Elijah. And the reason for that is that Elisha has twice as much of God's spirit on him as did Elijah. It's called the double portion if you're reading it in the Old Testament. And there's also this, that all of Elisha's miracles, all of Elisha's miracles are resurrection miracles. The healing of the water, the widow's oil, the raising of the Shunammite woman, the healing of the stew, the healing of the Naaman's leprosy, the floating axe head are all pictures and illustrations and miracles of resurrection. He is the prophet of resurrection. So just sort of a little bit of Bible knowledge to tuck in the back of the filing cabinet of your mind for the time being. But back to our text and back to Elijah. Elijah has the dubious distinction of being called by God to bring the nation of Israel back to him and to confront Ahab, Jezebel, and Israel. And this is the big picture. This is the greater context. Now, the other thing that we need to know is that at the end of the day, God does not have to work with all 12 tribes to accomplish his upper story, his main plan, his purpose. He just needs to work with Adam, uh, sorry, needs to, sorry, he just needs to keep his word to Abraham and to David, and he can do that in a way that he needs to because he needs to use that to bring about the Messiah. So that explains why God allowed the ten tribes to separate from the two, Judah and Benjamin. Because God only needs to preserve Judah because it's out of Judah that God's covenant promise, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is going to come. Judah. But we know our God, and we know the God of the Bible, and the God of the Bible is a God that cares about all of his people, including those that he may not need exactly to accomplish his purposes. So God gives, so God gives the ten tribes of Israel 208 years to change their mind. And he sends the prophet Elijah and other prophets to help them change their minds. And this is what's going on in our text. This is the storyline. The storyline is that God is calling his people back to himself. Now, I want us to back up for a little bit, and the first time that God calls a people to himself is through the person of Abraham, and we're told about that in Genesis chapter 12, that God chose Abraham and said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. 
We fast forward through the time of the people of Israel in, the, in Egypt in bondage and they are coming out of bondage and they're at Mount Sinai and at Mount Sinai God calls the nation. Jacob, Israel's family nation to himself. And he says to them, I have chosen you to be my people. But between Sinai and Mount Carmel, they have strayed. And what God is doing on Mount Carmel is simply this. He is drawing his people back to himself through the prophet Elijah. And this is the upper story. This is the main event. This is the big picture. This is the larger context. Now, not every story in the, New, in the Old Testament is just to teach morals. I mean, we in Sunday school, I went to Sunday school, you, some of you probably went to Sunday school, and this was one of our favorite stories. But we need to understand it in the larger context, in God's upper story, in God's plan. Mount Carmel is about God calling his people back to himself. And he does that through the prophet Elijah. Same people, the Jews, different generation, but the same chosen people. And against this background, the fire that we're going to talk about in a minute, and the pyrotechnics and the drama of Mount Carmel, is God's way of trying to get their attention and our attention to call them back to himself. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 23 to 39, which is the extension of the text that we read a moment ago, is one of the greatest Bible stories we've ever read. It is also the account of one of the greatest confrontations and showdowns in the Bible and in human history. Now, let me give you the Coles notes of what's happening. Elijah has said to Ahab, now, we want you, we want you to gather in all your prophets, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, and we want you to meet us on Mount Carmel, and there's going to be a showdown. Ahab sends out the word, everybody shows up, 850 prophets of Baal, the people of God are there, and they're looking on, and Elijah is there by himself. Maybe a few people with him. And Elijah puts out the wager. He says, now here's what you're going to do. We're going to build two altars. We're going to take two bulls. We're going to put some wood on the altars. We're going to kill the bulls. And you're going to call down your God. And I'm going to call down my God. And whoever answers by fire, that God is God. And so the prophets of Baal, the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, they go to work. They sacrificed their bull, they put it on their, the wood on their altar, and they start to call on God, but nobody's home. And Elijah, so they do this from morning to noon, and nobody's home, nobody's answering. And Elijah says, hey, 
Maybe you need to yell out or maybe they're asleep. Or maybe, and I love this, I love the way, now the uh, ESV cleans this up a bit, but the King James really does a beautiful thing on this. The, Elijah says, maybe your God is off relieving himself. I'll leave that with you. There's so much to say. And then Elijah says, you need to do more. And they start to cut themselves. And blood is going everywhere. No, but no action, no action. God's on another call. And that subdues. And the Bible tells us this. Then Elijah says to his servants, here's what I want you to do. Put up 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Get some wood. Cut up the bull, put it on there. And now what I want you to do is I want you to get six pots of water. I want you to pour it on. They build a trench, they dig a trench around the, the sides of it to, uh, to sort of accumulate the water. And they drench the sacrifice with water and Elijah says, do it again. And they do the same thing again. And you know, you know trying to light burn, uh, wet wood is a bit of a problem. And he says, do it a third time. And they do it a third time and they pour the water on the sacrifice. And then it says that at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prays. Now, I want to pause for a moment. Push the pause button. Now, we cannot talk about Elijah without mentioning the text in the book of James in the New Testament that talks about Elijah in the context of prayer. Now, it may seem to you like it's a bit of a sidebar or a sidestep, but it's actually a significant part of the text and the story. Because let's not kid ourselves. We all know the secret to Elijah's power and victory is not in himself. James says these words, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years and again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. And the first thing we learn here is this, that prayer works. Where does... Elijah learned this. Well, Elijah learns that prayer works in the very same places that we learn it. We learn the ways of God and how prayer works and spiritual principles in private, in secret, where we are hidden away and we are alone. And for Elijah... This is the Kareth Ravine. For you and I, it might be a back bedroom. It may be a certain chair in the early hour of the morning or the late hour of the night. 
It may be a place that nobody else knows, but it is a sacred place. And it is there. It is there like Elijah that we are trained in faith and obedience. And we learn the connection and the relationship between prayer and power. And we are prepared like Elijah is prepared for the confrontation on Mount Carmel. Now, I think we all know and we need to acknowledge that in our text there are special and all unique circumstances, but the principles are still the same. When believing people pray, things happen. And God always answers. I think that's why, and I didn't know that Pastor Scott was going to sing Waymaker today. But I think this one of the reasons why this song matters, that there's two lines in it says, says, even when I don't see you working, and even when I don't feel you working, he's still the waymaker, the miracle worker, and the peacekeeper, promise keeper. Max Licato said, We are never without hope because we are never without prayer. And Elijah prays, and this is his prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And here it is. And that you are turning their hearts back again to you. And we are told in verse 38 that the fire of the Lord fell. And it not only burned up the sacrifice, but it burned up the wood and the stones and licked up all of the fire, all of the water that surrounded the altar. Now what's going on here? What's going on here is this. The fire and the pyrotechnics and the drama is God's megaphone. God's bullhorn. So that he can get his people's attention. And Elijah is saying, Hello, I am your prophet. I have a message from God. Can you hear me? And God wanted to make sure that his people got the message and he sent down fire that licked up the water, the sacrifice, the altar, and the wood. God is trying to get a hold of Israel. At the very beginning, Elijah asked the questions, how long, to the people of God, how long will you waver? between two opinions. And we're told 
that when all the people saw this, the fire, the pyrotechnics, the drama, mission was accomplished. And they fell flat on their faces and they cried out, God, the Lord, he is God. And God's people came home, came back to him. So how is God trying to get our attention? How long has God been trying to get our attention? And what is it about that he's trying to get our attention over? The cell phone rings. It's God. The caller ID says. He wants to talk to us. What should I tell him? Are we available? Will we just see his call as an intrusion? An interruption in our lives? Will we answer? Or will we let it go to voicemail? And let him leave us a message? And if we do answer, if we do take the call, how will we Respond. I'm going to invite the musicians to come. And Pastor Scott, I want us to play that Waymaker song in the very beginning, while you're coming. For some of us, Maybe God's call to us is for salvation. For some of us, it's the question of whether or not we are going to respond to his offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Whether or not we're going to take advantage of that. For others of us, it might be something we're supposed to do, and we've been putting it off for a long time. Maybe it's forgiveness that we have been withholding from somebody. Or maybe it's forgiveness that we need to ask somebody. Maybe it's a grudge that we have been nursing for a long time. Maybe it's the bitterness that we have been harboring. Or maybe it's a relationship that we need to make right. And for still others of us, it's not something we're supposed to do. It's just something that we're to give up, to take out of our lives, to subtract. 
Maybe it's a someone. Maybe it's a something. But I can guarantee you this. In my life, your life, our lives. It's personal. And it's individual. So I want you to close your eyes this morning, if you will, please. Just for a moment of privacy. And as our eyes are closed, I want to ask the question again. How is God trying to get our attention? And how long has he been trying to do this? And what's it about that he's trying to get our attention over? Father, you know our lives. You know my life. You know Ruth's life. You know the lives of our pastoral staff and their partners and family. You know the lives of every person sitting in the room. You know the lives of every person that is watching online today. You know every one of us. And Father, you love us. I love what was said in the message in tongues that you love us. But you love us too much to leave us the way we are. And so Father, You want to call us today. Matter of fact, you're not, don't want to. You are calling us today to yourself. And I know, Lord, that I can be closer. And I know, Lord, that there are probably those listening this morning that they know exactly what it is that you've been trying to get their attention on. They know exactly what it is. They knew it the moment I said it. You put your finger on it. And it was the first thought that came in our minds. And we know what it is. And the question is, will we give it up? Will we surrender it? Will we come back to you and respond to you and accept your call and say, yes, Lord, it's going to be hard and it's going to be embarrassing and it may be involve repentance. But I got to take the call. I got to answer. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you, as we sit in this room for a moment or two and just reflect upon our lives and allow the Spirit of God to work, come, Holy Spirit, and speak deep into our hearts and into our lives and in our minds and in our souls. So as Pastor Scott and the team are singing this morning this song, would you just take a moment to reflect on your life, just just your life, not the other person's, not your spouse's, not your kids, not your siblings, not another Christian. I reflect on my life. Pastor Scott.
something that we're supposed to do or something that we need to undo. Doesn't matter what it is. It's personal to us. And all over the room, balcony, the main floor. If you hear the call of God today and God is trying to get your attention, would you have the courage to stand to your feet and to acknowledge it? Would you stand to your feet and acknowledge it? God loves a repentant heart. I'm just going to wait a moment. I know it takes some courage to get up. But you know, right? You knew the moment I said it, that thought came in your mind. I'm just going to wait another moment. This is too important to pass over. But I know it takes a lot of courage for what I've asked you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I think standing is a pretty good statement an act of faith. Father, for every person in this room that has stood to their feet, I don't need to know. It's none of my business to know. It's between you and them and you're doing business with them and they're doing business with you right now. And I pray, Father, that you will give them the strength and the courage by the Holy Spirit to move beyond just standing and to say yes. Yes, I am going to answer your call, Lord, in my life. And with your help and with your grace, I'm going to step toward that direction, whatever that means for the people standing. So, Father, I just now ask you in the name of Jesus that you will give them grace that goes beyond the moment in this service and beyond this Sunday morning that it goes beyond today. And as they make the first step, they'll keep moving in the direction that you are calling your, their attention toward. Father, for those that are watching online, that they may be standing as well. Lord, you're not, distance is not a problem for you, whether it's a living room or a, a dorm room or it's an office. Lord, doesn't matter. You're there as much as you are here. And we ask in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, do your work. Do your work, Lord. You are drawing your people in these days to yourself. You got plans. 
you got a purpose you got intent you got diligence and you are calling your people to yourself and I thank you today that I'm in that number Lord I'm in that number